0: Hello, and welcome to the Plastic Surgery Practice Podcast on the Medcore Podcast Network. I am Allison Warner, and I'm joined by my co host, Carrie Stevens, and we are the co chief editors of Plastic Surgery Practice. Today, we are going to talk about how. Plastic surgery practices can maximize their business, specifically with regards to proper leasing and/or purchasing and risk mitigation. We are joined by Carrie Cahill, an attorney with Lindabury McCormick Estabrook and Cooper in Westfield, New Jersey. She specializes in working with clients in the healthcare industry and frequently works with doctors in private practice. Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, let's get started. Um, I know you have a number of tips for practices, and so. One thing that all practices need is physical space. So how do you go about helping clients decide whether to lease or buy?
1: That's a great question. Before making a decision on whether to lease or buy, I encourage practitioners to do their market research. For example, what is the practitioner's target market? And how and in what ways has the population fluctuated in recent years? What is the visibility of the practice? With the assistance of an accountant, I encourage practitioners to make a conservative estimate on the amount that they can afford with respect to a monthly rent or mortgage payment. If the practitioner is unsure about the market or has a limited startup budget, it may be worthwhile to start with a short-term lease in a complex with other tenants in order to offset common area costs of maintenance. On the other hand, if the practitioner is confident about the viability of the market and has sufficient startup capital to handle the expected and unexpected maintenance and repair costs, purchasing is a great solution. There, the equity in a purchased office space can significantly add to the valuation of a practice, so there isn't a one-size-fits-all answer.
2: Okay, so for doctors who are leasing a space, what are some of the common pitfalls you see when they're negotiating your lease?
1: The two primary pitfalls that I see are that practitioners are not able to articulate their deal-breaking terms at the commencement of the negotiation. And they second, they may not be aware of what regulations and laws apply to their practice. So, for example, a commercial landlord may not be aware of all the regulations that are applicable to a practitioner's practice. So from ensuring the space can be fit up to operate the practitioner's diagnostic and treatment technology, to ensuring the proper disposal of medical waste, the practitioner as a trained professional must be able to ensure the space they are renting is capable of operating their practice. I would recommend having a professional contractor with experience in medical office fit ups view the space prior to commencing a lease or to uh, purchasing the property to ensure that the practitioner has sufficient startup capital to get their office up and running. And additionally, the contractor can aid in the negotiation of the lease as the landlord may be able to negotiate a rent abatement during the fit-out period. And also with the rentals, practitioners must remember that the owner of the property has the ability to sell it. So even prior to the date of termination of the practitioner's lease, uh, I encourage the practitioners to speak with the landlord and with respect to how long they have been operating the property, what the average percentage of occupancy has been and what the long-term plans are with respect to to their ownership so if there's a potential for the owner to sell the practitioner may want to negotiate an option or write a first refusal in order to purchase the property
2: okay so what is your advice to practice owners as they negotiate their leases
1: Uh, before you start
2: negotiating Speak with your counsel to
1: ensure you're on the same page. Your attorney can help you identify what laws and regulations apply to your practice, as well as identifying local and state regulations that may impede your ability to operate in the space.
0: Okay. Um, so now for those doctors who are buying commercial real estate, what should they keep in mind as they start the process?
1: Purchasing is a more permanent solution than leasing in the sense that it typically requires more money up front and the cost of upkeep is generally not offset by other tenants. Uh, I would highly encourage practitioners to do their due diligence on the market to ensure that the property can be utilized in the manner that the practitioner intends and that the property has the capacity to accommodate growth.
0: Okay, um, so let's see. um... Once they're narrowing down their properties, what are the red flags to keep an eye out for?
1: I would be concerned about properties that have had significant turnover and those which are priced below market rate. And I would also contact the applicable environmental regulatory body to ensure there are no environmental issues with respect to the location.
2: Okay, so let's talk about negotiating the real estate contract. What are the keys to negotiating a competitive contract?
1: Depending on the permissible uses, a property may have a variety of potential uses in addition to medical or dental office space. Sellers want to maximize their profit on the sale of the property, and as a result, the practitioners must make competitive offers. For the practitioners who are receiving financing, the mortgage obligations may commence before the practice is physically up and running. So as a result, the practitioners must ensure they have enough capital during the fit-out period to cover any mortgage, tax, insurance, utility, and repair obligations. Additionally, understanding these costs can give the practitioner some leverage during the negotiation. For example, after the inspection, they may seek to negotiate a credit towards the fit-out cost in lieu of a repair. When I represent a purchaser in such a transaction, two of my primary concerns are negotiating amenable financing and due diligence contingency periods, as these are integral for my clients to obtain financing, to inspect and assess the property, and ultimately to have the assurance that the property can be used in the manner that the practitioner desires.
2: Okay, cool. Thank you. Okay, so what are some biggest pitfalls practitioners should be aware of when they're negotiating a real estate contract?
1: Purchasing a property for one's practice is one of the largest investments that the practitioner will make during their career. Practitioners must do their due diligence instead of rushing towards a closing date. So don't waive the inspection or the environmental investigation and ask questions. Have any claims regarding the property been submitted in the past 10 or 20 years? Is the property in a flood zone? Um, And also, you know, the practitioner shouldn't expect to be an expert in everything. Uh, If the practitioner hires experienced advisors, these individuals have the requisite expertise to help the practitioner evaluate any risks that are inherent with the property.
0: Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. Um, Given that all Americans are dealing with inflation, including doctors in private practice, and the possibility of a recession, do you have any additional advice to doctors either leasing or buying commercial property for their practices? My biggest piece of
1: advice is to not rush the contract or the closing date. With increasing interest rates, I've had a number of transactions recently where the purchasers are rushing to close because they will otherwise lose their rate lock. But as attorneys, we handle transactions as expeditiously as possible, and practitioners must understand that the due diligence process takes time Um, One of the worst things that the practitioner can do is waive an inspection or the environmental investigation and proceed with the transaction and then discover that there's a significant issue or a liability, which may be fatal to their practice.
0: Well, my next question was going to be whether leasing or buying, what is the benefit of having a lawyer on board to represent your interests? But it sounds like you've you've outlined that a lot. But is there any additional advice you have in terms of bringing on a lawyer? Sure. So...
1: Lawyers have an ethical and fiduciary obligation to their clients, including obligations of confidentiality. So attorneys have confidential, strategic conversations with their clients, and we can negotiate favorable contracts. We aid in assessing and mitigating legal risks in the transaction. And additionally, we can often neutralize the communications and temper the emotions between the parties. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we close the deal. So I would recommend having an attorney on board before you start negotiating so that the attorney may aid the broker in the negotiations. And even after a letter of intent or contract is signed, the parties can continue negotiations to effectuate the transaction. We need to understand and be apprised of the terms of the transaction to draft an accurate contract, which reflects the party's
2: agreement. So you just talked about risk. Um, I want to go back to the risk part. As practitioners are setting up their practices, you advise that they establish policies to mitigate risks. So what are the most risks that are most common to private practices? So risk comes in all shapes and forms.
1: Practitioners need to mitigate the risks associated with their office space, as well as the interactions with their patients, their staff, and their insurers. Having adequate levels of insurance is integral. For example, general commercial liability, malpractice, employment practices, the ELI or EPLI insurance. There's workers' compensation, DNO for directors and officers, and general umbrella policies. So the practitioners should ask their insurers what is excluded from coverage under those policies, and they may wish to obtain riders for the excluded coverage. Additionally, the practitioners should implement policies, protocols, and procedures to mitigate their risks. And sometimes there are financial incentives for doing so, for example, with HIPAA and the High Tech Act. Um, in many states, under the corporate practice of medicine principles, the licensee must be in control of their practice. And as a result, the practitioners should take affirmative steps up front to remediate the risk such as utilizing employee handbooks, having protocols for patient interacting, and conducting periodic billing audits.
0: How often should practice owners review their risk mitigation policies?
1: Periodically. uh, There is no bright line rule, but the ultimate goal is to ensure your policies are current with the law. In the heavily regulated healthcare and dental industries, the policies frequently change. And as a result, I would recommend having an annual review to ensure the policies are not only current, but meeting the needs of the practice.
0: Okay. And then what role can a lawyer play in helping a practice set up a risk mitigation strategy?
1: So lawyers play an integral role in risk mitigation. We can help practitioners discern and mitigate general risks, but also risks that are specific to their individual practices. Accordingly, we can help practitioners uh, from the formation of their practice uh, in terms of selecting the most beneficial corporate structure, uh, to continuing to aid in the operation of the practice throughout its longevity.
2: Well, Carrie, this has been great information. Thank you so much for joining us today. Of course. And to our listeners, thank you for spending this time with us. Um, make sure to subscribe to the Medcore Podcast Network and check out the latest episode of the Plastic Surgery Practice Podcast. And to keep up with the latest industry news, please visit PlasticSurgeryPractice.com. Until next time, take care.